Hi there, listener. Sarah Holmes speaking. Welcome to Learning Day, a journey to explore how we integrate learning in our everyday lives. It's wonderful to be on this side of the mic again. After this necessary pause on Learning Day, today I am bringing you the first episode of the second season of our podcast. This season will be dedicated to exploring and documenting what we have learned in 2020. This season's guests answered the roll call and volunteered to share their story with us. I was amazed by the diversity of stories, but despite how different they are, they all have one thing in common, generosity. Thank you to everyone who applied and to everyone who accepted the challenge. The conversation you're about to hear is the first of 12. And since we're using 2020 as the backdrop to these conversations, there couldn't be a more relevant topic to start them with than uncertainty. If you would like to learn how to dance with uncertainty, this episode is for you. Today's guest is Laura Sincera. We talked about the resistance provoked by a three-month lockdown in Madrid that was supposed to be a two-week trip accepting the paradoxes within us and befriending our inner demons. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Lara. How are you? Hi, Sarah. I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for being here. We've met each other a while ago. I don't remember exactly when, do you? I remember the last time we saw each other in person in London. Yeah. But I think, I think it might be before that. Yeah, it's been a while. So we are today here to talk about uncertainty. I'm definitely someone who needs to have this conversation. I am a student here today, and I'm very curious to have this conversation with you and to learn about your experience. But before that, let me ask you, how would you describe yourself as a learner? So first, I just want to comment on something that you said, which is like, you being the student, I want to say I'm, I'm also a student. I don't like the distinction of teaching and learning somehow, because I feel like we're always learning. And and another thing for me is that learning feels a bit like living. So asking me how, what type of student I am or what type of learner I am is like, yeah, how do I live? And I would say it, it depends. It's very varied. I think there's many different parts and approaches. My learning edge at the moment is mostly around experiential learning. So like being in the experience and, and really embodying it and, you know, merging, I don't know, theory and practice, which often are somehow divided and like yeah, engaging my whole being somehow. Thank you for making that comment about the distinction of learning and teaching. I also believe that deeply, that even when I know a little bit more about something that someone else, I always learn with them. But as we were preparing for this conversation, I definitely felt like, oh, I'm going to take a lot away from this. Let's see. <laughs> Laura, tell us about why you wanted to talk about uncertainty and how last year brought you to that reflection. So it's somehow related to what we were talking about a second ago, like how we're constantly learning. And I think the opposite of that, of like that very rigid distinction between teachers and students also makes us think, or me at least think, sometimes that a learning experience has to be very deep, profound, radical to be worthy of sharing. And I think what I learned last year, what I decided really last year was that even subtle shifts can be deep and meaningful and profound and and yeah I experienced a lot of them like like shifts that I maybe at the time didn't even notice and and just looking back 
I realized how they contributed to something way bigger. And mm. it's a celebration of that, of the subtleties and, and yeah, an invitation also for others. The stories they lived are worth telling. So I might as well just share mine. So let's start with outward look on the story. What happened in your life last year? I started the year being based in London, traveling a lot. Like I had a quite a hectic lifestyle with work. And then, of course, March came and the world stood still. And I decided to go back to my mom's place in, in Madrid and Spain, not knowing at all how long this was going to be, thinking that it was going to be like, I don't know, two weeks of being there and ending up three months in lockdown in my childhood room. And I mean, lockdown in Spain, I know every country had different restrictions for us. It was really like not being able to go out on the streets at all for substantial amount of time so not seeing absolutely anyone and just being really forced to sit with with my past in a very literal sense my clothes my objects somehow inner world was reflected in the outer world and there was not much else to do than to be with it and yeah I think that restriction externally led to a lot of spaciousness internally somehow mm -hmm. so so yeah I think that is the, the external reality like me in my childhood room not being able to move Before we talk about what was going internally in that situation, you've shared with me that you had other plans for 2020. Yes. Can you share what those plans were and how that potentially breaking those plans may have affected you last year? My plan for last year was to radically shift my life somehow. I was considering going freelance or just like not being employed for a while. I was considering being location independent. I was considering... Yeah, just many different ideas that were quite, yeah, quite radical. And yeah, I played with some of them. In Madrid, it came to me that I didn't want to be in London at the moment and quit that. Actually played with being location independent for a couple of months, then decided that <laughs> it wasn't what I wanted. Changed jobs, but remained in like in tech and Google. And, and I think what I meant for me was that you can have an idea and a goal and a vision But the moment you become too attached to it, you stop seeing other possibilities somehow that might be even more aligned to your path at the moment. I think this chance to experiment with different approaches has been very enriching for me somehow. Seeing that or hearing that with my point of view on life, right? Yeah. With my baggage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it would probably have been very difficult for me to deal with that, with... Yeah having all of these plans and then them not coming to life. We've, we've all had to adjust, but I, I do know few people who have radically had to change their, their goals. And yeah, it has been easier for some than for others. Yeah. Now you are in Madrid in your childhood room and you're faced with your pasts and objects and the outside world. What happens in the inside world? I think it's a journey. I think at first what was really obvious was the resistance, especially of some parts. It came up with, with the clothes. Because also I had packed for like two weeks, right, at the stage. So I right. didn't really didn't really have clothes. I was forced to wear like the clothes I used to wear back then, which magically like kind of fit me. And they were so different, like such a different time of my life and identity somehow. And I was feeling so much 
judgment at first like why did i wear the things like who like no and and then i realized i I started digging deeper of like okay why am i feeling this judgment and and what exactly am i rejecting and then i think i shifted a bit with curiosity like oh let's let's understand like who was i what was i trying to achieve like you know what type of image was important to me and how is it possible that back then i felt resonance and right now i feel so much resistance and i think this this shift of like okay let's let's get to know me you know this part of myself that I feel like I no longer am like what is behind that openness to learn is what started the process somehow yeah I'm trying to put myself in your shoes literally (laughs) Uh, (laughs) having to wear those shoes and those clothes (laughs) and looking at my children's bedroom and the clothes I have there I'll definitely not want to wear them again I have to say, now that you mentioned shoes, that was one of the biggest parts. Like, I mean, when I say childhood, it's also teenage years, right? Right. And I had this yeah. entire collection of like super high heels that at the moment I am really not able to, well, I don't know, I don't feel resonant towards them and I'm not even able to like walk with style. So yeah, shoes is a great, great <laughs> word. So in terms of identity, what have you learned there from who you were and who you are now and what happened in between? I mean, I think identity in general is a very interesting concept. And what I think shifted for me is the quality of the concepts. I think generally, I used to think about it in terms of boxes, what I quite rigid labels and and things that I am and things that I'm not. It's it's more like, yeah, like almost like a verb, like something fluid, something that you do and that might change and, and that can expand in, in shape and depth. And yeah, you cannot really fully grasp it because it's it's a life. It's like an organism. It changes every second, right? And yeah, I think, I think what happened too was an expansion. So rather than seeing it linearly, like time, like, oh, I used to be this and now I am that and I outgrew that, it, can it coexist in parallel somehow? And, and can I have all these different sides to me, like facets, you know, like almost like yeah. a like a diamond with different facets and it depends on where the light comes, what you see, which shades. And rather than rejecting this, like, oh, I no longer am that, which really comes from this place of resistance and judgment, trying to integrate all, all of it. That is sparking something in me. I don't know exactly what, but it's there. Maybe throughout this conversation, we'll get to it. Still about identity. I think that it's something that we have all somehow have had to face this year because we no longer could define ourselves by the things we do in the outside world. Or maybe we are still defining ourselves with that and maybe in the way of us accepting that that world may not exist anymore or may take a while to be back in our lives again and obviously other people have had to change jobs and have big changes in their lives that shake that sense of identity up you've mentioned something in our preparation that was expanding how we see ourselves Mm -hmm. and when I read that I thought okay so looking at ourselves and understanding that now we eat different things and we do different things and But then I kept reading what you wrote and I realized, no, actually, she means expanding how we see ourselves inside. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) I was not expecting that. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more about that, about searching for other dimensions inside ourselves? Mm, Yes, yes. I love this question and I love this concept. I think expansion is very often thought of as expansion outwards. And I find it fascinating to consider also, like, can we expand inside, find and cultivate a spaciousness within ourselves, which is something that I learned this year. Like, everything might change and probably will change, but our relationship to ourselves is always going to be there, right? And it might shift and shape shift in its quality, but it, that thing is constant. 
trying, I think, to find a language to to describe my inner landscape. And I think it's, it's quite, yeah, it requires a lot of creativity because we're not used to explore, but also not used to share. And it's, it's up to everyone to find a language or a way. It doesn't even have to be with words, can be with movement, can be with pictures, can be different tools. There's a specific model that I found that really helped me with, with that process. I was finding myself being very interested in the concept of paradoxes. Moments that feel like a contradiction, but somehow also don't feel like a contradiction. So it's like not true and true at the same time. And how can it be? And logic models of the mind don't seem to have space for that. Like it doesn't make intellectual sense although in another part of ourselves it does feel true right and to try to make sense of that i researched a bit and i came across this model called internal family system it's, it's a model that is used in psychotherapy it was quite revolutionary the the creator used to be a family therapist so that means that rather than working with an individual he looks at the entire constellation like the family the surrounding the context of the person because he believes that well we're part of a system and our symptoms are part of what's going on also like a reaction to our environment and then he evolved that concept and he said oh wait but we also have internal systems right within ourselves he uses the language of parts so different parts of ourselves that might want or might have different interests at any given time this specific framework does make a lot of sense to me mm. although i don't like it very much <laughs> let me explain <laughs> I like to be consistent mm. and I see it as a quality. However, I also know that it brings a lot of conflict within me. Mm. I do know that one thing that I feel like doing or thinking or whatever today might not be the same thing tomorrow, yeah. but because I have this tendency to value consistency, I struggle with making that change in peace. Let's call it that. Mm -hmm. This framework to me, it's it's potentially shaking that up a little bit, that mm. I don't have to be that consistent because that doesn't exist. And it's okay to be different things and want different things in different moments and to want different things at the same time. Maybe that is what we need more of in the world today, mm. less definitive answers to questions that might be the wrong questions and more holding this paradox. I don't know. That's that's what's coming up. I don't have a question. <laughs> it's what's coming up. Oh, and I love that you shared that. I already see like a shift somehow in your answer, like from I, I value consistency and this is it, like quite rigid and also very clear to a maybe, right? Like an, an mm. exploration of maybe. And what's coming up for me as a reaction is that it's not necessarily, or how I understand it, doesn't need to affect our consistency. What What it might affect though is, Yeah, our acceptance of those potentially conflicting desires within us, then we still have the choice to show up however we want, right? And decide, okay, there is this really strong part in me that doesn't want to do this thing that I committed to right now. I listen to the reasons why it doesn't want to do it right now. Still, I might show up anyway, like, you know, keep my word. And I commit also to explore this resistance like what is it I see many people and sometimes myself too like pushing through and like oh no I said this so I have to and like the should expectation stick that we beat ourselves up with often what else would you like to share about the system no 
other thing that I found very interesting was how it's not pathologizing. I think before being familiar with the system, if someone would have told me that they have different voices inside different personalities even, I would probably not know what to do with it because in our collective imaginary, that feels like something that is not right, something like, you know, like not normal or like some sort of yeah mental health issue, which creates a lot of tension if you feel a lack of clarity within you. Mm -hmm. And so the assumption of this model is that everyone has different parts, that we all have systems within us and that that, that is completely healthy. And then another assumption that I find very interesting in this model is that everyone also has a curious, compassionate, courageous, creative force within us that is able to like hold all of these parts together into a like wholeness. So eventually there is wholeness and balance that can be maintained. It's not only us being pulled by different parts and to different directions. This involves accepting and being compassionate and curious about the less positive things about ourselves as well, I'm assuming. I think even this frame of like less, less positive things is super interesting because we all have the tendency to do that, you know, like some parts of ourselves and not like other parts of ourselves and then judge those parts and hide those parts or pretend they're not there. I think the big shift with this model is somehow, and I say this model because it served me, I'm sure there's many different, you know, ways of approaching it. It's not like I'm saying this is the only way, this is one way, is to see that even the parts that we think less desirable have wisdom to share with us. There's probably something that we are not looking at that would be interesting to integrate and so this reframe from assuming it's bad or less positive or negative to like oh I don't get this I, I have no idea why I'm showing up like this or like why do I have this how can I befriend it somehow or like how can I come closer you shared a cartoon with me that I loved can you describe it Yeah, sure. So it's a person and like an inner demon is coming out of them. And at first it's like, okay, who are you? Do I have to fight you? You know, and we can think of a demon or we can think of the inner critic or any part of ourselves that we don't like. And then the demon is kind of very friendly and asks like, well, you don't have to. And eventually they end up having some tea, like just having a comfortable chat rather than a violent fight. I love it. I love it. Yeah, this idea that we need to constantly fight those less desirable sides. It's tiring to be constantly in a state of fight and alert. You made a, a very interesting distinction before between self-development and self-improvement. This is something that I'm very passionate about, actually. Like, well, language in general, I love. So I feel like it really shapes our worldview and has a lot of power. So I, I really try to use language in a way that feels true to me and I get quite yeah, a bit triggered even when I hear self-improvement because what I understand is that the assumption is that there's something to improve on you know like something is wrong and we need to improve it and I feel like we're recreating exactly the same framework just putting a different label on it and for me it's about development which doesn't mean that there's one direction there is not a predefined better or worse it's an evolution it's a journey we don't know there's many different paths you know there's not a stage of complete in my worldview you keep developing you keep evolving it's different probably but not better or worse because I don't think such a thing necessarily exists the fact that there isn't a finish line and being comfortable with that accepting that well there is a finish line it's called death but we won't feel perfect when we get there that's for sure I've never experienced it but I am sure I will not feel perfect when I get there and just being comfortable with that And also, I feel like the sense of lack that we so often, I mean, I really feel like the paradigm of lack infiltrates in so many different areas of our lives. And the problem with it is that it's never enough. You might improve as much as you want, 
and you still won't feel as enough. And so for me, really, the antidote to that is acceptance and exactly accepting that you might never get to where you thought you wanted to go. You might end up in a completely different scenario. But if you are able to be okay with that, you know, then that's it. And then you have arrived somehow too, you know, and and it's a contradiction. Again, it's like, okay, there's no goal, there's no destination, but you can still accept that you're there. Again, this paradox element is really present for me. Hi there. I hope you are enjoying my chat with Laura. And before we go back to it, I want to share with you a message from Franca, a member of the Learning Day community. The weekly reflection sessions are my sacred block of time dedicated only to me. As someone who loves journaling but can never make herself do it consistently, the reflection sessions provide me with much-needed facilitation, direction and accountability to become aware of my thoughts in a safe space. I leave the early sessions energized and the night sessions relaxed, but always 10 times lighter than what I arrived with. Consider joining one of the weekly reflection sessions this Thursday. Go to learningday.community to learn more and sign up. Now, back to our chat. We're talking about uncertainty and that led us to all of these amazing thoughts and reflections. But now I want to go back to uncertainty. The way you described dealing with uncertainty was very interesting to me, which was dancing with uncertainty. And so first I'd like to know, why do you call it a dance? For me, a dance is unpredictable and it can have so many different qualities. So I think we've all been in the situation in which I know you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel comfortable in the environment, you don't feel comfortable in your body. And so it's like a very stuck self conscious back and forth bouncing, which is a type of dance. My preferred type of dance is when you, you know, you're in the flow, you're doing it for the sake of it. It's like pleasurable in itself. You won't gain much from dancing other than, you know, the joys of it. And you can be fully immersed, time disappears, no mind. I think, yeah, that almost ecstatic state can also be accessed through dancing. And mm-hmm. and I think the core part maybe is, is the no mind element, or at least that's my experience. When I'm really dancing, I am not thinking at all about my next move. It just comes from my body and, and there's a wisdom and intelligence that is not thought through. And I feel like uncertainty requires us somehow to step into that quality too, to move sometimes without knowing because we cannot know and trusting that that something will come, that we will move. Is there a parallel with dancing with a dance partner? Or are you, you only see this analogy with dancing by yourself? Definitely can also be applied with dancing with a dance partner. Because you also don't know, like no idea what your dance partner is going to do. There's no way of controlling that. They might surprise you and probably will surprise you. And there's beauty in that. And and again, there, you kind of have the choice to be annoyed because they didn't do the moves they should have according to your expectation. Or you can be like, oh, I had no idea this was where we're going. Let's see where it goes. You use the, the word joyful to describe this state of mindless dancing. And when we apply this to uncertainty, it can feel very much not joyful. How do you find the ability to make that reframing? I think first sitting with, even when it doesn't feel joyful, rather than rushing to make it feel joyful, which might not be authentic or not accessible to us in any given moment, I think slowing down and maybe tuning into my body and and my thoughts, of course, but also my body of like, okay, how does it feel to feel uncertain? Where is the probably fear coming from? What's the quality? What is the sensation somehow? Because I, I have noticed for myself that when I sit with it, it shifts to something different. So the moment I bring the attention to 
to it without needing to fix it or change it, just pure quality of attention and consciousness, then something shifts. Another thing that really helps me is to not have an agenda, which is kind of what I was pointing at before. But when I think when we try to move from stuckness or lack of joy or fear to joy, even more resistance might come up, right? Because it's not true. It's not the process where we're at. So I, I would say the first thing is, is to be with what is. To be with what is. I'm saying it out loud so my brain <laughs> listens to it. A mantra, yes. It, it has that quality, I agree. So you went through this journey and I'm wondering if you feel like there's a before and after for you. I am not sure if before and after is the language I would use because it sounds quite polarizing somehow, like before and after. And there's definitely a change, but I feel like it's more subtle. And I also feel like it will continue to change. And so there will be many befores and afters. I'm not sure I can pinpoint one turning point. It's more, again, a dance, like many shifts, many movements in different directions and less clear, maybe, than a clear cut before and after. Interesting. How is that sounding to you? I'm curious to hear. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's it's much easier to try to force our understanding of the situation as a before and after. Because it, in a way, gives us a sense of control that there is an after, which is something that I'm not sure will exist and after the situation. I hope it evolves to a more light and a world with more ease than what we have right now. But I don't know what's after or when it's after. So what you said makes a lot of sense to me. The small shifts in different directions. That's what stayed with me. Because it's not just one direction. In, it's not a timeline. It's more like a, a web, yeah. I feel. Yes, exactly. That resonates a lot. And I mean, simultaneously, I was thinking now that I was hearing you speak, like how from the outside, like if you just look at my life, I switched jobs, moved to a different country in a completely different setup. So yes, there are a lot of massive, obvious shifts that I could frame as a before and after, but it's not my lived experience. It feels like way more subtle somehow internally. And that is something that has been very clear to me in our conversation is that you are much more focused on the inner world than necessarily the outside world. Yeah. Do you agree? I somehow feel like the separation of both can also, I mean, I see, of course, how there's an outer world and an inner world, but I feel like they go together somehow. And I see also how exploring the inner world shifts my perception of the outer world. And even in the circumstance in which we are, where, as you're saying, it's ease is something that we have to cultivate. It's not very easily accessible to us. And the more ease I find within, the more I find without. I definitely see evolution in both planes, even though my focus might be more right now in the understanding and finding in language and creating internally. Lauda, what is learning for you? Cultivating an openness and being willing to be malleable or like to allow new perspectives, new ways of being to influence us and maybe expansion. Like learning is expansion. Yeah, spaciousness, create more space. If you could ask one question to our listeners, what would that be? Given everything that we talked about, I think my invitation would be to see what part of themselves they are rejecting and maybe see if and how they can be more curious towards it. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for being so generous with your reflections and for allowing us in your inner world. Thank you so much for dancing with me. If you want to get in touch with Laura, you can find out how in the show notes. I would also love to hear from you. Go to learningday.community and reach out. If this episode was useful to you, 
consider subscribing to Learning Day on your podcast app. And, as a little extra, share it with a friend. I don't know where this is going to take us, but I know we're going to learn something along the way. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you.